0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew. If you love brewing as much as we do and are inspired by the work of leading commercial brewers like Mitch Steele of New Realm, Tommy Arthur of Lost Abbey, Matt Brittleson of Firestone Walker, Jeff Stuffings and Avery Swanson of Jester King, Jason Perkins of Allegash, and more, then put one of our 2018 Brewers Retreat events on your calendar. These luxury brewing events at gorgeous resort locations around the country pair great brewers, great food, and intimate camaraderie for a truly unique and unforgettable experience. Learn more at BrewersRetreat.com. And if you're interested in reaching the thousands of listeners who tune into every episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing podcast, we'd love to welcome you as a sponsor. For more information, drop an email to info at beerandbrewing.com and our media sales team will craft a plan that works for you. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director, Jamie Bogner, here in Tampa, Florida on a sunny but cold day with the folks from Angry Chair Brewing in uh, Seminole Heights, uh, Ryan, Ben, Tyler, and Jordan. Uh, Angry Chair, have made a name for themselves with adjunct forward uh, barrel-aged beers, non-barrel-aged beers that are pushing the limits of flavor and what can be done with beer. And they're doing it from a rather small and modest outpost uh, here in Florida's West Coast. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Ryan, Ben, Tyler, Jordan.
1: Hello. 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 What's
0: up? So the brewery is three years old right now. The beers that everybody knows you for are culinary inspired beers, dessert flavored beers, the epitome of uh, pastry beers, if you will. Uh, I don't know if you like that, uh, that term for them or I not. it. You hate it? <laughs> I
2: hate it. None of the beers we actually make are any pastries. They're not pastries, they're desserts. I haven't made a pastry beer yet.
0: So. so should we call them dessert beers? They're dessert
2: beers in my opinion, but whatever. People call them whatever they want.
0: What do you guys call them internally?
1: Stout. Imperial sweet stout? Yeah, Yeah. stout
2: without junks. I mean, yeah, it's... But dessert beer to me is what I've always called them.
0: So I was reading some press about you from the early days and the stories, and they talked about how you had a distribution deal with Brown and how you were going to focus on sessionable, drinkable beers and when we look at what you guys are known for now, it seems to be a, a pretty radical departure from that initial approach, or at least some of those initial thoughts. Uh, how how did your strategy for brewing, you know, how has that changed since uh, you initially got you know, came up with the idea to, to launch your own brewery?
3: Uh, I think when we, when we stated that, it's just something to get out and press. Sure. Um, you know, when we started, we, we knew that Ben could make a fantastic stout, you know, Russian Imperial Stout or Imperial Sweet Stout. Um, we truly just want to brew, you know, to brew beers that we we wanted to drink. Uh, I think our concept is forward-thinking. Um, we like to challenge each other and and make some forward-thinking beers. And uh, obviously, it's it's been pretty successful for us to do these big stouts. And um, but you know, we I think currently really like sessional beers. We you know we like drinking. Hoppy sessionable beers and you know some mixed culture stuff. Uh, unfortunately, that we're not doing it at this point in time, but it's turned into an animal. But it's fun because it's a challenge every time we do it, and I think that's kind of the fun part of what we're doing. But it has changed, you know. It was, we just put something on uh media just to kind of have a, sure. a profile, but sure. you know, it we've we've kind of grown since then, and here we are.
0: That brings up an interesting question because a lot of brewers will say, Oh, I brew what I like to drink. And uh, you know, yet most of the brewers that I talk to love to drink a lot of pilsner. Absolutely. And uh, not a lot of them make a lot of pilsners. No. Uh, and it's just not a necessarily a cost-effective thing for a craft brewery, especially a small one, to to spend tank time on. Um, how do you guys balance that? How do you you know how do you figure out and and figure what that mix is going to be between what your customers want to buy from you and what they're willing to uh, you know travel out here to the tap room to uh, to purchase you know versus uh, you know that idea and that vision for what you want the brand to be and uh you know and and what you like to drink yourselves
3: i be personally i think we we like what we put out we 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 want to brew what we're putting in the tasting room that's first and foremost is you know sure uh you know product mix and people can come in and dictate what you need to, to provide but it's worked for us that we've been brewing the beers that we want to brew and that we want to drink and uh, we've been very fortunate and humbled by the people coming in and agreeing with what we want to brew. Um, sure there's some beers that we probably hate to brew, um <laughs> but uh you know, there's not any beers that we don't personally agree with that we're you know that we're gonna put on their taste room just to sure, brew, fill the void sure. sure. Brew, so
0: I wouldn't would never imply that you'd you'd brew something that you weren't happy with yeah, yeah, or absolutely. release that. That's yeah. you know, Um, You know, but there are always those. It's a business, you know. Mm -hmm. Brewing it's not a hobby. If it was a hobby, you'd be home brewing. You know, but it's a business. You have customers, and they have expectations for you know what they want to buy from you. And um, you know, that has to be some sort of challenge to balance. You know, the stuff you don't necessarily want to brew as much versus what your customers want to buy from you a lot. Correct.
3: I don't think Velvet Brew grew it. No, I don't
0: think so. No, I don't think so. Is that because you want to, but your customers won't buy it, or really
3: like it? (laughs) No offense to anybody brews it. Uh, it's just uh, it's a style that I don't think we've ever nah. talked about doing. Nah. No. No interest. Yeah. so having being said we're not going to just brew something just to, yeah. to brew it. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Well, Florida has a reputation. And in fact, a lot of Florida breweries are very culinary-focused and the inspiration for the flavors you know behind their beers and everyone from the folks at Cycle to Jay Wakefield and Funky Buddha, they've, um, you know, it seems to be a community of craft beer that's that's uh, uh of a similar mind about producing those flavors is there something to do with uh the clientele the the beer drinkers in florida is that something to do with the weather uh, what is it about florida that uh that leads to this kind of culinary focus to be
2: honest i think it's just the brewers themselves um i mean wayne over at cigar city he's kind of the person that got me and uh brewing these types of beers and he's just big foodie, and like that's what he always like, how can I get food into a beer? And uh, that's how I started wanting to do it, and then just trying to think of like different types of desserts to be able to bring into a beer.
0: That's a good point. You all got your start at Cigar City? A
2: lot of people got their start at Cigar <laughs> City. It was kind of like the, the place where everybody went and kind of learned everything. I mean, Wakefield was there. Chris, over at Green Bench, started there. Um, Jordan, Tyler, me. Um, I mean there's a lot of brewers that came out of there
3: Target Cycle, Seven Sun or so.
2: Yeah so I mean it's, We all kind of were hanging out together At the same time so maybe that's what it was Just everybody was hanging out Having the same kind of ideas so.
1: Yeah I think Hoonapoo paved the way for a lot of that too Imperial style
0: Yeah So Cigar City was the, the epicenter Then uh, in connecting folks With that, that kind of mindset um, What made you decide to go do your own thing?
3: Oh, I've, 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 I've been in this industry for over 10 years. It's something I'm passionate about. It's, um, it just made sense to do something our, ourselves, dictate what we want to do as to somebody dictating it for us. And uh, it just, you know, there's a lot of talent behind us, I truly think. And for us to be, you know, under somebody's thumb and not be able to create is an atrocity. So that's really what it is, given a, you know, a platform for us to be creative. And, uh, you know, if we were successful, great. If now, you know, we tried. So.
0: You got tired of brewing batches of Highline over and over and over and over <clears> and over again? <throat>
3: Fortunately, I never brewed Highline. Uh, okay. so, but yeah, I just, these guys have.
0: <laughs> 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 Nothing against Highlines It's great. Yeah, yeah, beer, no, fantastic great beer. But,
2: yeah, no, I just like to be able to brew different stuff all the time. I just hate brewing the same beer over and over and over. Unless it was a Pilsner, then I'd be totally happy with doing that. But uh, no, it's, I mean it's just the fun of being able to go on every day and do something different.
0: So a few years in, this is still a rather small brewery. You know, ten barrel brew house. Um, you know, some thirty barrel fermenters back there. Um, but your output is is still pretty modest. And uh, you know, in the big you know scheme things, how about how many barrels are you producing per year at this point?
2: Thirteen
3: hundred this year. Uh, yeah, thirteen hundred this year. Yeah, we you know we're growing steadily you know obviously modest confines we're going to be maxed out stainless wise this year uh, we acquired more space for more barrel H output which is exciting for us uh but yeah it's we, we i think we've maximized what we can get out of this tiny little footprint and it's it's you know we're not gonna ever go so fast that we can't keep up and let the machine dictate what we're going to do i'd rather us dictate what the machine's going to do sure sure so uh that's kind of our model uh, model and it's it's worked so far and there's some interesting decisions to be made
0: going forward okay i push you on that Uh, what what does that future look like
3: i you know it's we've been very fortunate very humbled by the support we have and to you know have less liquid than demand is, is fantastic but you know my My motto is just because you can doesn't mean you should and it's you know, I think it's an exciting year 2018 There's a lot of things to be seen this year. That'll help us dictate our future, but uh, I Don't want to go too fast And I think the growth model that we've had so far has been successful and it's kept morale high Which is extremely important to us. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. This is a imperative year for us
0: a lot of brewers are um measuring that growth you know obviously craft beer as a whole has now slowed down from 15 to 18 percent growth to somewhere in the two to four range and uh you know especially on the larger side everyone is um you know circling up the wagons and, and trying to be very careful especially when it comes to capital spending uh given what that looks like um have, have you all been able to uh, you know grow without taking on significant amounts of debt how much i mean i mean that's a uh, you know for most folks like uh, you know Corey King at Side Project you know they've they've not taken on any debt to you know to build their stuff they've built everything out of cash and uh, lets them you know kind of decide their future and take that under control I mean uh, how much of that weighs into your decision making uh, and that kind of risk taking
3: a lot uh, it's cash flow is uh, the name of the game for us uh, and we've been very fortunate not to take on any debt you know, me and my business partner uh did a small business administration loan and uh it's worked out and we have never had to ask for anything more. Um I think it's you know, being wise, making wise decisions, cash flow is very important to us. You know, we're very very fortunate to have, you know, bottle releases that move extremely well and uh that obviously helps but it's yeah, a lot of people are overextending themselves and uh it's sad because there's some really good product, really good people that are failing because of a poor decision and I'm uh, hopefully you know it's something that we won't make but it's easy to do it's really i can see somebody forecasting and that's why it's a forecast you
0: know sure yeah and uh yeah and if your uh personal uh life savings are on the line on yeah, that so. it can be a, you know pretty dicey uh i yeah. think to look at that that growth uh, leveling off um at the same time it's it's hard to to really uh you know, get a true picture of where that growth is because you know in the Northeast you've had breweries like Treehouse and Trillium who have significantly expanded their production and have gone from you know six to eight thousand barrels a year to almost 28 thirty thousand barrels a year and have not seen the demand uh, let up at all and are selling you know most of that directly to consumer despite you know increasing their production. You know, four times over. Um, how? You know, where do you where do you see that for you all? Uh, what do you think might be the you know the growth potential and the limit here as to how big you could get?
3: How big we can get? I think I,
2: I have a max that I would like to get to. Like, yeah. I personally never want to go over twenty thousand barrels a year ever because then it just becomes too much to manage. I think it'll, you lose all the fun out of what we get to do day to day and it becomes more of a business, which yeah. to me isn't fun. I want to be able to go in, have fun, come up with new ideas, change things up. So yeah, that's that twenty thousand me
3: personally would be the max I would ever want to go. I think that's far off for us. You know, oh, we yeah. will slowly grow. Um, you know, again it goes to what Ben was saying is I don't want the machine to dictate what we're doing. I'd uh, rather us dictate it. So if we have that kind of demand for us, uh, you know, for people to come and consume here and take away from here, that's a uh, far smarter business model than counting on distribution. Uh, it's truly a marketing platform for us. But we we, we fortunate we have some good partners that we distribute with, but I'm I personally don't want them to dictate how we grow. It's just it's not something we're going to
0: do. Yeah. Yeah. From that small business standpoint, I mean a lot of a lot of that hype and that demand is in the you know, fact that people will line up is because some of the stuff you release is, is relatively limited. Um, from a business standpoint, how do you scale that? I mean, that has to be one of the the, you know, uh, you know, serious challenges in uh, wanting to produce more beer for folks, um, but also having to deal with the fact that you're brewing it a year before you're selling it, that, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's capital. gets locked up in, uh, you know, in that beer that sits there unsold for that kind of time. Um, And while you could certainly do that with more beer, uh, then you'd be out a lot of cash (laughs) that you don't have flowing in. Um, But then at the same time, you also, I imagine, like most, uh, well, you enjoy the fact that it drives some scarcity it's also frustrating to see uh, some of the lengths that folks will go to, and, and some of the negative behavior that comes out of that, and want to, you know, do you know, produce more beer to meet that. To me, how do you how do you balance those things?
3: I think we're very cognizant, you know, of of cash flow and and pr- kind of predicting when this beer is, comes available, and doing what we can to, to be ahead of it. You uh, as for making more beer uh to keep up with demand especially uh, like specially release uh, you know we 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 pretty much put out what we can um you know we're not trying to make it scarce uh, and I know that's how you're implementing but uh uh implying I'm sorry uh is that you know as long as we can control the quality and make more of it I think we will um if I could put beers in the cooler and people can come in on a Tuesday night and not get in a line, I'd be thrilled with that. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. And again, we're very fortunate to have that, and humbled by the people that come up and line up for these beers. But you know, if I could make it that it's accessible to anybody that comes in, I'd rather do that. It's 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 a nightmare sometimes. It's a lot of anxiety for me. You know, for the safety of the people in line and you other things. Um, so that you know that's kind of what i think just I from a pure
0: it. business perspective i mean any business wants to sell as much to customers yeah. Yeah. as they possibly as the customers want to buy from them yeah. it's, it's poor business to not sell to somebody who wants to buy something from you but
3: great yeah I, I i think by having bottles more you know readily available it, it creates more of a heartbeat in our taste room, and you know that's what it's about is creating an environment where people want to come into and, and talk beer talk whatever and um You know, if there's bottles and there's more packaged uh, goods, it's more in the environment that we want in our tasting room. As to just one big bottle release and it's gone, I I just feel that if we could have more people in and have, you know, bottles to go, it it creates an environment that we'd rather have, you know? So, but we're trying to make more beer, just unfortunately we can't, so, at the moment.
0: So how much of your business revenue comes from your taproom sales? as a percentage
3: percentage uh, it's obviously growing every year um, so we're, we just kind of compiled all the information roughly this year it's about 63 okay. percent um, of what we make so and it's that's gone up 20% from last year so and then you know if we can control and keep, keep more and sell from here it's what we want to do Sure it's a better quality product we can obviously make sure it's being stored properly and um, you know it's, it's more ideal for us.
0: Yeah, this is it's so interesting to see how many small breweries are in that same kind of boat in that 60 70 80 percent kind of revenue uh, straight from the tap room which is just so different than what beer looked like when a lot of folks were getting into it back in you know 10, uh, 2010 2011 2012 mm-hmm. um, where every, you know most folks launched with packaging centric you know business plans it's, uh, it's hard hard to do I
3: know when legislation was threatening to take away our tasting rooms it'd be Catastrophic to the industry in Florida, so I'm glad they didn't do that. Because without our tasting room, we would have failed 18 months in. You know, it's just can't can't depend on distribution. You know, you can obviously, but it's it's something in our that we started. You know, we, it would be extremely difficult. You know, so you got to have a tasting room for us. You know, and for Florida, I think everybody would agree with
0: that. And then you start facing those challenges of, of in any kind of normal on-premise business of keeping traffic in on a regular basis. Uh, imagine it's rather easy to get folks in on a weekend, but uh, or a Friday night, but a uh, lot harder to get people in on a Monday or a Tuesday night.
3: It, it is. Uh, you know, we, we I, I think me personally we create an environment around beer. Um, we're not we're very adamant about not not having jenga and trivia and. And yoga, yoga, and, and it's fine. I, I get it. It's just it's not us, uh, and uh, it's it's worked. You know, we're not going to change anything to draw more of a crowd. Um, we just want to be us, create an environment around beer, and have some good good friends come in and converse. And that's what it's about. So we don't go out of the way to do a movie night or anything like that. And to be honest with you, some stuff we just can't do in our tasting room. So small. So
0: yeah, yeah. So your location here uh, is pretty sh- shitty for parking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I drove around for at least ten minutes to find a, a parking spot. Uh, you know, is most of most of your clientele local? Are they they walking and riding over, or they uh, uh, you know coming in from Tampa or St. Pete, or they you know are they you know beer tourists that are just running through the West Coast?
3: It's a good mix. Uh, we definitely have a very good, strong following from uh, the community this is why some lights is imperative for us to open up and it's just we want to be we want to have a brewery that's uh, as much a part of the community as the community is a part of the brewery and uh, so we you know during the weekdays we definitely have a lot more locals and then weekends you get you know the uh, the more beer savvy guys and, and then obviously the out-of-towners so it, it's a good mix but yeah during the week you get more local uh, a lot of people riding bikes a lot of people walking yeah um, but yeah it's definitely a trick to find parking we starting next week we have uh, a little bit more parking so that'll add about 10 more spots and then uh hopefully alleviate some of the stress um but definitely a pain in the ass <laughs> some sure. lights and stuff to get parking
2: yeah
0: why uh why this neighborhood then
3: i, I think it's just we want to be in a community that felt as much a part of the brewery as we felt a part of the community um it's they're very interactive you know we want them to come in and say hey uh you should do this hellus with horseradish and leeks, and I think that's a fucking horrible idea. But but I, I feel like you know for them to get in and, and feel like they're a part of it is what we want. We can learn something from them as much as hopefully they can learn something from us. And, uh, and it's definitely the right neighbor for that. It's it's very you know getting forward thinking. It's very up and coming. I hate saying that, but every day there's something new coming, and it's 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 a very very cool place. I love it. It's home. I'm very fortunate to have a business here, and it's very receptive of us, and I couldn't be happier.
0: Tampa, as a whole, seems to have, uh, and Tampa, St. Pete, that this West Coast of Florida seems to have, uh, seems to be driving the bus when it comes to the Florida craft beer, uh, you know, movement. Uh, definitely a, a leader geographically, and when I look at other, uh, you know, other cities, I was born and raised in Orlando, and it seems to, you know, it's a bit of a the desert when it comes to the quality of beer relative to the west coast um, do you think it was that Cigar City influence that just seeded so many talented brewers across the west coast
2: yeah I mean you really think of all the best breweries in Florida right now and really the good majority of the brewers came from Cigar City or trained there for a small amount of time um, yeah I mean it was like the breeding ground for great brewers
3: yeah I it, Right time, right place, right people for cigar city, to to kind of put us uh, on a launching pad, so to speak. You know, I I have so much to thank them for. I think everyone here at this table does. Yep. So yeah, they they definitely have uh, helped us tremendously, and they still do. So we have a lot owed to them, and you know, we're very thankful for them
0: in a normal business they'd be sending you a cease and desist letter for uh, you know <laughs> poaching their uh, their employees but but no thankfully craft beer it's uh it's a little friendlier than that
3: it is it's it's uh, definitely a good community it's very synergy related yeah and, uh, it's different than any other business for sure yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the beer itself um you know i've you all are known, again, for those culinary-inspired beers um, that, that tastes like desserts, um, but producing those beers is includes a myriad of challenges. You know, number one, like balancing the, the adjunct flavor with beers, uh, with the beer itself, or with the barrel-aged version, balancing that barrel character with the base beer, with those adjuncts, um, dealing with adjuncts that don't always do what you want them to do. Um you know for a brewery your size it there's a lot of risk in producing that kind of uh, you know uh, things so as you're using those are there any techniques that you all have developed for being more successful with adding those things to beer
2: well all, we use a, a spin bot or a recirculation tank that um, we actually pick up all the flavors from the treatments that we use um, And I mean, and the thing is like each and every single beer is different. Like we'll do the treatment until it tastes right. So it's
0: a spin bot.
2: Yeah. Tell me more uh, about that. So it's essentially just a tank that has like a false bottom in there that we can throw in a whole bunch of coconut, cacao, vanilla, and we can just recirculate through all those things while it's in the bright tank and pick up all the flavors really fast as opposed to just sitting on those uh, ingredients. So just take something that could take like two weeks of just sitting on uh, ingredients in the fermenter down to like two to three days. Wow. So. It's
1: basically a large hop back.
0: Yep. Any downsides that you found in, in using it?
2: No, I mean, it's it really just speeds up the process. Um, like, keeps anything. Just, I mean, I don't know. Really no downsides whatsoever. It's just really easy to get the flavors into the beer. Um... The only thing is every single time we do it, like it's it's always different. Maybe one time it'll be 12 hours to pick up the flavors, another time it could be two days. So it's always just tasting it until it's right. And then once everybody's happy with it, then
0: calling it and packaging it. How frequently do you have to taste to until it gets just
1: right? 12 hours. 12, yeah. 12, 12 hours. As much as possible. Minimal. <laughs> Minimal <even 12>
0: hours. <laughs> when it comes to those flavors, you know, how do you conceive of those and what you know what goes into what's the background in, in developing some of these things?
1: Um, I, I, at, first, at first Ben was making uh, German chocolate and that kind of blew up um, as far as dessert beer category and then after that we saw our clientele and realized that's that's the type of culinary forward beer that they want so we kind of hit that mark. Um, or we try to hit that mark with all the dessert beers just to keep it exciting and rich and decadent like that uh, German chocolate was when it first came out.
0: Are there... Uh, you know, so who does everybody in the brew house come in with inspiration for, for the next uh, next dessert?
2: Yeah, no, like I'm all down for everybody putting in. It's, it's a team effort and uh, coming up with the flavors. Whenever we come up with a new beer, I mean, we all have input into it. Uh, I don't like it being just one person deciding what's going to happen. It's it's all the team effort. So that's real big for me. It's,
0: how do you prepare these? You know that that's becomes the you know there are as many different ways to use adjuncts or use extracts or uh, use purees or you know any myriad of ingredients. Um, how do you decide on the mix of those? And uh, what are some of your preferred methods around that?
2: Um, deciding on the mix. I mean. It just really is all from just experience. Just like knowing 10 barrels is usually going to take about 150 pounds of coconut to get coconut flavor into it. Um, to trial and error. So you're for,
0: using shaved coconut uh, or toasted coconut? Yeah, toasted
2: coconut is okay. what we use for most of our beers. Are so you uh, buying a pre-toasted
0: coconut. aseptic? Uh, do you do it yourself? No, or?
2: no. We actually we buy toasted coconut from an online supplier. Okay. Um, uh, but, I mean, it's just trying to balance out the flavors is, is really the biggest thing with coming up um, with uh, new ideas.
3: I think we've been uh, extremely fortunate that we've come up with ideas just off the top of our heads and implemented them into the beer and been fairly successful doing that uh, which is owed to these guys. Um, sure. So it's, it's been pretty cool. I, I think we have a very good nucleus here and uh, they all bounce off each other and really come up with good ideas and you know I think it's fairly you know it's fair it's sure no a little less, a little less this and then it's it's, it's worked out and I'm very fortunate to have these guys
1: I like to consider a lot of the beers we make concept beers and conceptually sometimes they'll work and sometimes they don't look like Ryan said lucky for us a lot of times they do but occasionally there is a couple that hey we we tried these couple adjuncts it's not really working it's not balanced the way we want so what can we do to kind of change that culinary inspiration, and uh, you know, get more out of what we already have in it, and then add something that can complement it or contrast it to change the beer. In the treatment tank, where the spin bot gives us that ability, you know, we can we can spin a beer on coconut for two days, and if it's not there, if it needs more perceived sweetness, we can take it off, put it on vanilla, put it on cacao, whatever we want.
0: Because you're small, you can. There's less focus from your your customers necessarily on consistency, and uh, I guess they what prize that that creativity. And so, if it needs to become something else, you can just make it something else.
1: Yeah, we we try not to make any promises to the customers as far as our bottle releases. You know, if uh, if we don't like the way the beer turns out, like I said, we'll we'll change it and maybe uh, call an audible. Um, we're not we're not going to tell people we're we're putting German chocolate out six months in ahead. You know. Yeah. Because yeah. it might not work out.
0: Well, it's certainly something, you know, a benefit of of being small and nimble on that. Um, When it comes to fruit, you know, when I I mentioned the word extract, I I saw some groans out here. Oh, yeah. When it comes to fruit, lots of puree. Lots and
2: lots of it. We go ridiculous amounts. And we're actually uh, just recently started upping it
1: some more. (laughs) (laughs) And we find the threshold level for all these flavors, any adjunct beer, it's, it's continually getting higher not just because of what we're doing, but every brewery that's making these style beers is pushing it to the limit. So mm-hmm. the, uh, the threshold has to get higher.
0: How much when you're marketing a beer, and not that you have to go sell it that hard, but uh, you know, do these adjunct levels really matter? Uh, I've found it interesting and entertaining that uh, uh, brewers are now listing the number of pounds per barrel of, of fruit... <laughs> Oh, really? and uh oh, yeah. and oh, it man. seems you know it seems to me that like now we're starting down the same old road of this is a thousand IBUs. and the <laughs> uh you know and, and there's always I mean, there's always been that element to craft beer you know when i i started drinking craft beer in the mid 90s when I turned 21. And back then, it was like, oh my gosh, we can drink a 9 or 10% beer, and you know we're smugly superior to ever, all the other beer drinkers because we can drink the stronger beer. And then that stronger beer turned into hoppier beer with more bitterness. And now, it seems like, thank God, we're backing off that bitterness thing in a significant way. But what's replacing it is pounds per barrel of hops in the dry hop, and yeah and now you know pounds per barrel of of fruit in there and it seems like for whatever reason we in craft beer can't get away from these numbers that are going to just prove how awesome we are
1: (laughs) i think that's what the customer looks for i think customers look for extreme in craft beer that's what entices them you know they want to go to those breweries that add 10 pounds of fruit per gallon or they triple dry hop or quadruple dry hop because it sounds extreme to them and they want that extremeness that's what craft beer is about
3: to certain people so I agree with that. I feel the the pallets are get, becoming better, so they can pick up mosaic or, or Citra and, and tell the, the difference between them. I think uh, you know labeling how many pounds per barrel is uh, it's it's fine. I feel like it, for me it's justifying a price point for said beer. It's like uh, man, we use ten and a half pounds per barrel. That that's crazy. Um, you know, and then. This is why it's you know this much money per four pack or whatever it may be, and it's fine. You know I feel I don't think you need to say pounds per barrel yeah. or you know, it, but it, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just
1: we won't do it. I think we would prefer instead of like boasting about ingredient quantities, we'd rather those flavors just be apparent, you know, upon consumption. Like if we have coconut and cacao in a beer, we want the, the drinker to know that right away, just by drinking it.
0: Well, it seems like you have a more efficient extraction method, you know, with your spin bot, and so pounds per barrel wouldn't necessarily translate uh, in some sort of consistent metric to, to what other brewers are doing.
2: Yeah, cause, I mean, sometimes we can use like seventy-five pounds of coconut and get a huge character off of it, or we could use one hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, it, it, yeah, it just depends on the beer itself. So, I mean,
0: what are what are some of the factors that impact that?
2: I mean, uh, lighter beers, like say if we did a coconut uh, beer on a porter, it's going to pick up a lot easier. Um, And a lighter base is a porter as opposed to a big imperial stout. Um, It's it's usually just how big and how bold the beer is to begin with before you start adding in those uh, different
3: adjuncts.
1: Yeah, the more robust the beer, the more robust the adjuncts have to be to to support it.
3: Can we start using vanilla beans on Pilsner's then? (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm sick of the price. I don't. I don't want to know how many pounds of vanilla beans are going into some of these beers because it's, of the it's painful. It's <laughs> so painful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What are you paying, like what, three fifty, three seventy-five a pound for it? One
3: hundred and seventy-five. We paid nineteen hundred for
2: five pounds. Five pounds. Yeah, it's it's gone through the roof. It's absolutely horrible. So, looking into wholesalers for that right now. Yeah,
3: yeah hit us up if you guys know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Everybody's looking for vanilla right now. It's... No, it's it's bad right now, man. And it, there's a lot of crap vanilla on the market. Luckily, there's still some really good suppliers out there.
0: Yeah. So. Have you ever been tempted to to jump into the extract game on vanilla?
2: No. No, no it is not the same.
0: How yeah. do you guys prepare your vanilla?
2: Split them, soak them in alcohol, and uh, add them to our spin tank. So. Okay. Yeah, it's, we spend a lot of time splitting vanilla beans, but, <laughs> but, I mean, you don't get the flavor any other way, so it's, yeah. it's one thing I will never compromise. We have to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are some of your favorite adjuncts in, in particular uh, you know, that you love the way they taste in beer?
1: I think this past year we've, we, we've all really liked the nut beers we've been making. We've been mm-hmm. making uh, a walnut beer, a uh, hazelnut beer, a pecan beer. Uh, we freshly roast those, and we add them to the spin bot while they're still warm. Um, and those those have been my favorite beers this year.
2: Yeah, I've been really digging those, just because they're different than everything else that we've always been doing. So it's been fun, like figuring out how to get the right toast on the nuts, and depending on the nut itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a lot of fun this year. I really like
0: doing it. that all in house. Are you do you grind those or do uh, you chop them? Chopped, are all, yeah, chopped. all okay.
2: chopped. And then yeah, we'll go. We have a community kitchen that we'll go to, and we we'll okay. just run out time from there and just go toast them all up. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, works out really good for us.
1: How
0: do you deal with the uh, the fat issue
1: with those nuts? We don't deal with it. We just no. put it in there. And... <laughs> if anything, it adds to the body. We don't we don't see that it's killing the head retention like most people would assume. Huh. Um, but it adds this kind of silky, fatty mouthfeel that that uh, really improves the beer. If anything. Hmm.
0: Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't have thought you were toasting your own nuts and throwing yeah. them in there. That's okay um you know you use lactose a fair amount a lot yeah <laughs> even in this Ben's lactose intolerant <laughs> is he <laughs> yeah.
2: I can't break the drink half the beers I make so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the crazy thing I've ever heard yeah, you're lactose yeah. intolerant you put lactose in it. Really yeah beautiful. and everything
3: well he'll sample away and to the point yeah that, yeah, yeah. can't do anymore uh <laughs> yeah yeah he makes a great milk stout and uh can't drink
2: can't, it. Can't drink it. Co- yeah, Copious amounts. Yeah, yeah, small um. amounts. No more than like five ounces or I'm going to have troubles.
0: Okay. Keep like lactate or one of these uh, <laughs> pills around just to break it all down. Oh, man. Um, how do you label those? I know I've got you know folks that are lactose intolerant. My, my own son has a peanut allergy that will send him an anaphylactic shock, and so we, we're label readers when it comes to that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, just on all of our labels, if it has lactose in it. I mean, it's, it's one yeah. of the actually usually... One of the first ingredients that we list on there, so.
0: So why um, use lactose instead of other brewing techniques? Whether it's you know just mashing hotter or it, oats or meat or
2: lactose, you get body without sweetness. Okay. Is is why I like lactose so much. Um, I mean, you could mash higher, but then you're gonna have that like ridiculous amount of sweetness that goes with it. And our beers are already sweet to start off with, so it's like trying to find that nice balance. Yeah.
0: So you even use it in your hoppy beers, like this IPA that I
2: just yeah, finished off. Yeah, uh, actually,
0: wasn't that your idea, Jordan? I
1: can't yeah, remember I was certainly not the first one to do it, but we, we talked about doing it for a while. So uh, we, we did it to add kind of more body and uh, more silkiness to what was already kind of a silky beer, just to see how, not extreme we could take it, but to see what it, it'll actually add to it. And it's sold like crazy in the tasting room. I don't know if it's because it said it has lactose and people just thought it was different or if if the quality is there for the consumer um but we like it we've brewed it multiple times now so
0: from a sensory perspective what do you think in particular that it adds that you couldn't get from another uh, another method
1: well you know maybe mash and higher. we could we could probably get the body that we get from the lactose but i think that the the lactose provides um still less filling body you know it's it's a it's sort of a mouthfeel without that heavier uh wort finishing gravity um that's one thing we find is uh if, if if we have a beer that's too sweet it's still kind of wordy you know like it's coming straight out of the kettle we don't like that character but the lactose can give us kind of that body without having that word characteristic
0: how big are ipas for you at the brewery in general <clears throat>
1: We actually do make IPAs.
3: Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's something we've put uh, a lot of effort into in the last year and a half for sure. And um, it's it's uh, number one seller is an IPA. <laughs> um, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we've we've definitely come full circle uh, with with what we're trying to do. We definitely have upped our dry hop rates and, and tried some new techniques. And that's that's it's fun. It's it's fun for these guys to be creative and and uh, try something new. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to go in and brew the same beer every day. And uh, getting back to like, I don't want that machine to happen. So, but yeah, I, our IPA sells really well. It's a pretty good blend, but uh, you know, our Spacecraft, our house IPA moves really well. Um, and then usually Loveless is our session IPA. It's moves, you know, it's the biggest skew in the world. So, you know, people want IPAs and uh, I think our quality and our, our our levels come up exponentially. Huge. So, huge um, difference. But yeah, you know, we put a, a imperial stout or barley stout on tap.
1: It moves extremely well. Sure. Um, but you know, definitely, five out of the 15 taps are, are hoppy beers right now. So yeah. we certainly don't shy away from them. It's what we like to drink. Higher quantity seller. <laughs> yeah. We we like drinking it all, but you know,
3: if I'm gonna come in today's room, I'm you know, some that. hopping yeah, session, some yeah. Yeah. session. Yeah. Some hopping session.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so what's captured your imagination on the hoppy side recently? You know, are there uh, specific hops, specific combinations, are there uh, specific methods? Uh, uh, are you going that fruit route with IPAs now? Uh, what's what's keeping it interesting for you?
1: I, I've
3: been really impressed with Idaho Seven. Uh, yeah, that's a really nice the, hop. One year that when, last year we we brought it in and we really enjoyed what it offered. Um, me, that's the hop that. You know, I really dug, dug last Next
2: year. year. That was a really good hop. I'm just looking for new varietals to come out for me to be able to play with, but even then it's kind of hard to be able to get that much of it And considering everything we already have contract uh, to begin with. so I don't know, maybe just playing around with different dry hops
1: just like different combinations right now. Um, yeah, certainly our dry hop procedure, um, we moved from using a lot of bittering hops uh like early edition kettle hops and now we're we're mostly towards like the hop bursting the late edition trying to get fruitiness and then playing with the the timing of the the dry hop and what bioconversion we might be able to get like the new england ipa um characteristics and then uh you know occasionally we'll we'll want a super dank like old school hoppy character and and we'll try to hit that and then the other half of the time we're trying to go for like a soft guava mango with with no grassiness or dankness you know? so we're kind of just targeting all over the field and uh some of it hits and we really like it and and some of it is just a one-off you know
0: hops for a brewery of your scale at about 1,300 barrels have to be a bit of an interesting challenge and one that i think you know even you know most consumers don't understand how challenging that can be because you're small enough that you can't contract for huge amounts of hops and uh and it's going to be hard to even get out and and do selection on hops with those kinds of numbers um you know and you know buying hops on the spot market can can just be a a hit or miss nightmare
2: um luckily we got some really good contracts there's some really good suppliers um but it has been tricky, like just having one of, one, just too much of one hop, I mean, cause things change so much daily for us cause we're just constantly trying to brew different beers. Um, it, I mean, it's tricky when you're this small, it's it's hard to get good quality that's consistent
1: um, at a good price. It's- we've noticed that, I think drastically, um, you know, year to year, crop to crop, we've noticed these changes and we've, we've we've stopped making some brands because the hops aren't up to quality so we'll, we'll switch it to a new ipa or whatever it might be
0: you mean from a consistency standpoint yeah not from the a same.
1: consistency standpoint you know uh if mosaic's very distinct and a couple crops we've had it just wasn't quite there so for a while we just made a different beer until we could get a better crop
0: interesting are you able to just send them back to the no
1: no uh, we just use it differently right Uh, blend it it in with other hops and stuff like that yeah
0: okay it's it's been fascinating even you know the citrus crop from 2016 to 2017 was uh, dramatically different and 2016 from 2015 was was a crazy change Um, we also often lose sight of the fact that beer is an agricultural product at its core and that uh, you know you can only make uh, you know uh, products that are derived from you know the agricultural crop and uh you know i even heard brewers talking about how much hazier just the 2016 citrus crop was over 2015 and with no other change to the recipe at all just 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 made the beers cloudy yeah
3: we we get that with our galaxy mm-hmm. it just, just does not want to clear out which you know whatever but yeah it's definitely changed the direction of certain beers and so much that we've stopped making certain said beers because we're not happy with the crop that we have at the moment. So,
0: do you work with other brewers on uh, on you know, larger buys, or do you, uh, you know, go solo on this?
3: We're solo. Solo right now. Um, um, definitely not against it. Uh, you know, we're pretty pretty well taken care of allocation wise. We didn't yeah. really had to up the game, so to speak, or up our quantities. But you know, going forward, that may happen. And there's it seems like there's more and more breweries dumping. You know, trying to get rid of some of their contract, um, so that's come across us as well. We've, we've just been, we've been content at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, just have
0: to make sure you trust them to have kept them in, uh, in mm-hmm. good shape. This is true. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about sour beer. You all, uh, you know, make Berliners out here in the, in the regular brew house, but you've also now embarked on uh, uh, some longer term Brett projects. <sighs> Oh. <laughs> uh, no,
3: no, we, uh, I think, you know, it, it's, no, we enjoy those beers. Um, I think with Ben and Jordan, they really get in and yang off each other extremely well. So it's a new project for them to challenge themselves. And and uh, it's something we'll hopefully start seeing sometime this coming year, well, this year, geez. Uh, but, yeah, it's up to you guys want to kind continue on that
2: yeah i mean it's pretty small right now it's it's just basically two beers in our sour program so but we do have a saison um that is uh, in barrels right now with some brett and also a sour red ale that's uh, in some barrels with some brett and lacto, lacto as well so but i mean it's, it's pretty small right now hoping to grow it a lot more this coming year especially once we get a little bit more space in our warehouse um but yeah that's, that's not much going on right now, but I'm really looking forward to expanding it this next year.
3: I think we all have an affinity for that mixed culture. It's yeah. such a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, you know? so, especially farmhouse beers. Yeah. Yeah
0: any uh future plans to cool ship some beers out here
1: no <laughs> <laughs> not in florida i think it'd be a little tough in florida too much of the the factor in florida there days of yeah, yeah. this would be This sort of in perfect time actually yeah uh, right last now, night uh, damn dude that had that some had cool. some frost on the window this morning <laughs> quite surprising
0: yeah i think what well, was 2013 was the last time it got this cold uh, yeah, so you can you can brew yeah. those every four years or so <laughs> yeah exactly <I> mean, <laughs> perfect
1: that's a pricey piece of equipment to be able to make <laughs> one batch a year
0: you know sure sure um so your your barrels sit out in a, a warehouse in florida that's you know not not uh, uh controlled in terms of uh you know temperature uh how much do you think that uh, that impacts some of the flavors that you get out of, out of barrel aged beers i think it gives us uh, a huge advantage of just
2: speed wise just like uh You get such a huge fluctuation of temperature throughout the day that it's really expanding and contracting those barrels to help pull out the flavors that are in them. Um, I I see it being beneficial to us and kinda, I
1: mean, if anything's in there that's gonna spoil the beer, it's gonna show up pretty quick. So. I think it promotes a little more oxidation too, which I think we all kinda like. Um, That that slight fruit note that you'll get off of a a barley wine or an imperial stout after it's been in there for for six or eight months that uh, you know, changes the roast character into a more uh, pruny or, or uh, date-like quality.
0: Oxidation is a positive thing and not an off yeah, flavor. Yeah, to, to a limit. To <laughs> a, sure, a, uh, sure, sure. So, sure. Its limit. There are no off flavors, There's are just attributes, and some of them are yeah, positive and some yeah, of them are negative. Yeah,
1: be complimentary for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, so you've got a barley wine that's uh, coming out of the brew house soon. Yes. <laughs>
2: Big blonde barley wine uh, going into uh, cognac and bourbon barrels, so eleven and a half percenter, big one. Um, it's actually the first barley wine we brewed in a while, so stuck for that.
3: I think, yeah, it's exciting. You know, with it, blonde barley wine, so it's it's kind of a we can check it out when it's you know progressing in barrels and and then go from there, and I think that's fun for us to say this could lend from this adjunct or we just you know have a straight uh, barley wine but uh one of my favorite beers is you know that's you know it's barrel age i think english barley wines with barrel character are beautiful so uh i'm a, i'm really excited that we're brewing dave uh we have a buddy of ours that was old beer tasting guys a barley wine freak i think he's got like something like eight 9,000 barley wines rated. It's nuts. Uh, maybe not that high, but it's pretty darn high. But that beer's exciting, so we're going to brew it in February. Again, it was it was pretty well uh, received in our tasting room. Fairly young. It was uh, one of our first barrel-age offerings, but it's a big, figgy, like, molasses-y English style barley wine. And
2: I still think it's the best barrel-age beer we've
0: ever brewed. Though.
3: It's. I really enjoyed it. So... Uh,
0: Bar- barley wine's having its moment right now.
3: Yeah, I guess, I guess. somebody's it's very, uh, very adamant yeah. about it. So yeah, it's. I do uh, like a English style like barrel and I think it's a beautiful combination. Uh, American, not so much. No, no.
2: But, yeah, so love
0: the English barley wine. <laughs> now you mentioned that when I came in that you all are prepping for Tampa Bay Beer Week and that Tampa Bay Beer Week. Something like what thirty percent of your sales?
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a juggernaut. Um, it, it takes you know, a lot of time for us to get. I think this is the first year that we're pretty ahead of it, yeah. uh, and uh, you know we're looking forward to it. But I think we have a lot of uh, cool beers coming out that week. It's kind of the showcase week for Tampa breweries. Um, so, um, you know that that being said, a lot of you know barrel aged beers and some other tricks up our sleeve. Um, I think you know we're we're definitely getting close to doing some canning. Um, we're excited about uh we'll, we'll, we do make IPAs again, so uh, we, we will definitely <laughs> put some of those in cans and then you know some other, you know, kettle sour stuff. So, but uh Tampa Bay Beer Week's jugging out. We we're, we're looking forward to it. It's it's a stressful 7 days, but it's great just to see From all of a our business friends. perspective. That
0: sounds insane it's to insane. me. That it's a third of your revenue might come in one week during well, the year one in week. March.
3: Yeah, we we shut down a couple days after the week just to recoup, and uh, but you know last year was surreal for us. It was our coming out, so to speak. Uh, we were busy the year prior, but last year was just we didn't see it coming, nuts. and uh, we handled it the best we could. And I think I think the consensus was that we did a good job considering we were probably not staffed appropriately. But uh, <laughs> but uh, this year is
0: gonna be fun. We're we're all looking forward to it. It's interesting to see how much events in the world of beer kind of drive that commerce and uh, and build businesses uh, and, and support businesses. You know, I think about it in terms of the Great American Beer Festival in Denver. Um, the fact that event exists actually, you know, drives business strategy for breweries all over the country with limited, you know, short-term distribution and uh, large-scale releases. Um, you know, and, it, and it's kind of strange to think about that event driving that much business for individual breweries um uh you know it'd be, it be it's a little scary to think about how much of that depends on it um is there uh, are there plans to develop future other events to to help uh, again support that business it would seem like if you can get two weeks out of the year instead of one that might be a...
3: uh uh I, I don't think anybody that has a brewery <laughs> would be against that
0: yeah. um or are you all building, you know, new traditions that uh, you know that, that support your your business and brand? Day.
1: <laughs> oh,
3: man. I don't want to plan it. <laughs> um, I think the Tampa Bay Beer Week, you know, council. There, they have a, a staff that handles the week and they handle it extremely well. So I think we owe a lot to them to coordinate all the events and you know advocate for those events. Um, I think there could be another week. Tampa has enough breweries, that's for sure, and Central Florida, for that fact, uh, to come together and do something, you know, uh, in the future. I, I don't see why not. Um, somebody else organize it, though.
0: Um, <laughs> so You guys have your hands full. Yeah. We, we do. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you, uh, Ryan, Ben, Tyler, and Jordan for uh, sitting in on this episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. Appreciate you guys taking the time this afternoon to talk with me. And i uh, going to wrap this up and drink some beer. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having Thank us. You.
2: Thank, Thank you. Lord.
0: If you love brewing as much as we do and are inspired by the work of leading commercial brewers like Mitch Steele of New Realm, Tommy Arthur of Lost Abbey, Matt Brynaldson of Firestone Walker, Jeff Stuffings and Avery Swanson of Jester King, jason perkins of Allegash, and more then put one of our 2018 brewers retreat events on your calendar these luxury brewing events at gorgeous resort locations around the country pair great brewers great food and intimate camaraderie for a truly unique and unforgettable experience learn more at brewersretreat.com and if you're interested in reaching the thousands of listeners who tune into every episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing podcast, we'd love to welcome you as a sponsor. For more information, drop an email to info at beerandbrewing.com and our media sales team will craft a plan that works for you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.